The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient Mesopotamia. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. Ancient Mysteries Revealed, the secret of the sealed scroll. John saw in the book of Revelation an angel standing over the land and over the sea. A mighty angel, he says, in the 10th chapter. The angel has in his hand a book, a scroll book that is open in his hand. Notice what the Bible says here as we go to the book of Revelation. I saw another angel, he says, a mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and he says a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun. Notice what John tells us next. And his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand, there it is, a little book open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And then John says, and he cried with a loud voice. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him that lives forever and ever. And there should, that there should be time no longer. What an amazing picture we have here in the book of Revelation. An angel over the land and the sea with a book open in his hand, crying out, time no longer, and swearing by Almighty God. Well, I guess the question that should be on our mind this evening as we begin is what is this book that is open in the hand of this mighty angel? Well, in fact, the Greek language in which the book of Revelation was written, it informs us that this book that is now open was once shut. That's the Greek tense that's used there. This book was once shut, but it is now open in the hand of this angel. Now, if we want to understand this, we're going to have to go back tonight to the book of Daniel. We're going to begin in chapter 8, and we're going to see tonight how in the book of Revelation, with what we've just seen, and we go back to the book of Daniel, these two books just come together like a hand in a glove again. We've been seeing this night after night in this series. So let's notice when we go back to chapter 8 of Daniel. Now, you will remember we looked at this in, I think, about the second or the third program. We started looking at Daniel 8. A great war, we notice, between a ram and a goat. We're not going to go over it again tonight. But you will remember that which uh, was most interesting to Daniel, that which he dwelt on the most, was this little horn. A little horn that came from one of the four points of the compass, you will remember. We noticed the actions of this little horn. Number one, it stood against Jesus Christ, you will remember. Secondly, it cast down the sanctuary. In other words, that illustrates the plan of salvation or the way God saves human beings for eternity because we talked about those temples or sanctuaries. It took away the daily, which means the priestly ministry of the priest in those temples. Thanks, And then it trampled on God's people, we noticed. Number five, it cast down the truth. You will recall those things. We notice this little horn does those terrible things. 
shocking things that we talked about. And the question was asked, how long? How long until God does something about all this? How long? And you will remember, we saw the answer to that question in this cryptic verse, which is the longest time prophecy in the entire Bible, right there in the heart of the book of Daniel. This is the longest time prophecy for 2,300 days or evenings and mornings, as it says, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. We noticed that we took a whole program on that statement. You will remember that Daniel couldn't understand and Gabriel came along and started to help him a little bit right here in the eighth chapter. But I want you to notice something that we didn't dwell on. The vision of the evenings and the mornings, that's the 2,300, this is Gabriel speaking, which was told you is true. Therefore, seal up, meaning shut it up, close it up, seal it up, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. In fact, when we go back in this same chapter, Gabriel tells him, actually when those days take us to. Notice what he says in verse 17. First of all, the 2,300 days, he says here, it is sealed, it is shut up, it is locked up until the distant future, he's told. Now, notice what Gabriel says a little bit earlier. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid. You'd be afraid too if you're sort of mighty angel like this. I was afraid and I fell on my face, he says, But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision, that's the vision we're looking at here, the 2,300 days and so on, the vision refers to when? Notice when it refers to? He says it refers to the time of the end. Now that statement comes up again and again in Daniel and it also comes up or revealed in the book of Revelation. So he says the 2,300 days is sealed to the distant future, which means that takes us, he says, till the time of the end. Not the end of time, but the time in which the end will happen. The time of the end. That's this going to take us down to that time. Way down into the future, Daniel. That's where it will take you. Now, when is the time of the end? That's the question now, isn't it? So he's told this vision, this will be shut up until the time of the end. So when is the time of the end? Let's notice by going to the last prophecy in the book of Daniel. You know, Daniel had four great prophecies. Chapter 2, we saw that great image. Chapter 7, those four beasts that came up out of the briny ocean. Chapter uh, 8 was those ram and the goat. And now chapter 10, 11, and 12 is his final vision. We're not going to go through that this evening. But I want you to notice what Daniel sees as he comes to the end of his book and the end of his last vision. Notice what's said. You, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Your book, Daniel, shut it up. It's locked up, meaning to understanding. Until when? The time of the end. There is that phrase again. Daniel 8.14, the 2,300 days, it's sealed until the time of the end. He's told, Daniel, your book is locked up or sealed to understanding till the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, meaning people will search its pages. People will seek to understand it. Many will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase regarding your book, which is locked up until that time. You got the point? Daniel sealed his book till the time of the end. 
And then many will run to and fro, and the knowledge will increase. Daniel, you couldn't understand this thing. We saw that. Let me tell you, people are not going to understand it till we get to the time of the end. Their knowledge will increase about it. Then I, Daniel, he says, I looked. Now, Daniel began this vision, this last one, beside the river, the river Tigris. And he saw a majestic being over the river. We're not going to go there. That's chapter 10. But he comes back, sees that great picture of this great being. Now, notice what he says. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on the other river bank. So here by the river, he sees a great heavenly being on this river bank and another one on this river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, he says, who was above the waters. Ah, that's the other being that he saw at the beginning. So this one on this river bank, another one on that river bank, and another mighty angel standing above the waters of the river. And here's the question. How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man, he says, clothed in the linen, who was above the waters. Now, this is the third being above the waters. Notice what he has. When he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever, and that it shall be for a time and times and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, says Daniel, I did not understand. You having a problem tonight? Daniel didn't understand either. Join the club. But let me tell you, you will understand by the time we're finished here tonight. Because this book we're going to see is open. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel. For he said, the words are closed up and they are sealed till the time of the end. You got the picture. The book of Daniel is sealed. His words are sealed and closed till the time of the end. Especially that part dealing with the Daniel 8.14, that was said to be sealed till the time of the end. Daniel's book, especially the 2,300 days, is sealed till the time of the end. You will notice that the being over the river holding both hands in the air swore by him who lives forever and ever. Haven't we seen that picture before? Yes, we saw it back in Revelation 10. But now that being has a book open in his hand. Remember that? So let's notice. When is the time of the end? Well, Daniel was told, after a period called what? After a period called time, times, and half, he was told. Then that book, it's locked up until that period of time. Now, how long is this time, times, and a half? Well, you will recall we saw this a couple of times already. But I will remind you by going back to Revelation. And this is how we see these two books go together. That's why you must not miss this seminar coming up as soon as we finish. Because Bob and, and will be taking you through these amazing prophecies and you can dig in deeper. You know, it's you can look at it yourself, but you'll be going back because these two books go together. Two books that Jesus told us to study, Daniel and Revelation. Now, let's notice when we go back to Revelation, we can see what the time, time and a half is. John sees a woman clothed with the sun and a dragon chasing her down, the Bible says. 
This dragon wants to devour her child. And he misses the child and goes to the woman. Notice what it says. The woman might fly into a wilderness to her place where she is nourished for how long? A time and times and half a time. Do you see why you need to study these two books? Because that period is mentioned in Daniel and it's mentioned again in Revelation. She's looked after or nourished for a time, times and a half. And in that very chapter, he tells us how long that time, time and a half is. Back in verse 6, talking of the same event. Then the woman fled into the wilderness that they should feed her there for 1,260 days. So what is it? 1,260 days is times, times and a half. We've seen that before, haven't we? Times, time and a half, same time period described in these two ways. And we've seen already that in Bible prophecy, in prophecy, not just anywhere, one day, represents one year in literal time. And we've seen where we get that from. Now, you will remember the Bishop of Rome back in the early years when the Emperor Justinian gave him not just the the chief bishop, but he was also had political power back in 538 AD, the head of the church, the true and effectual corrector of heretics, according to Justinian, and to the bishop of Rome was also included now really the political power that the Western Roman emperors wielded. Now think about it, 538 AD, that's what we've seen before. Exactly 1260 years of persecution later, because it said the power of the holy people, when it was shattered, then would come the time of the end, you'll recall from Daniel. That brings us to the year 1798, doesn't it? 1260 plus 538 takes us to the year 1798, we've seen. That's when the time of the end begins. That's what Daniel is told. Shut up your words until the time of the end. When we come to that time, after the power of the holy people has been shattered, that begins the time of the end. Not the end of time, but the time in which the end will happen. So now Daniel is being told, John is actually saying, now this book that's closed will start to be open to human understanding when we get to the time of the end. Daniel's words have been locked up to human understanding for many centuries. But now when we come to this time, Daniel's words will begin to be understood. Revelation 10, let's go back there. Do you see? Do you see it so clearly? I saw another mighty angel. He had in his hand a little book open that was once shut, according to the Greek. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land or the earth. He's, this is a global message. The world needs to hear this. And the angel lifted up his hand to heaven and he swore by him that lives forever and ever. If ever there was a passage in Revelation that has a correlation in the book of Daniel, this is it. You can see very clearly it's referring back to Daniel. He swore by him that lives forever and ever that what was what was it that he swore that there should be time no longer. In other words, time is up. We have arrived at that time when something would happen. And what was that? What is the book that is now open? Of course, it's the book of Daniel especially the 2,300 days, it will now start to be understood to the human race. 
That's the first thing. Daniel 8.14 would now be understood about the 2,300 days. So I went to the angel and I said to him, this is John back in Revelation. So he goes to the angel and I said to him, give me that little book that's now open. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. Now that doesn't mean John was chewing on a book. It means John devoured the message. That's what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what it means to eat this book, to read it and to take its message into our lives. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and it was as sweet as honey, he says, in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. He got a bellyache. So it was nice up here, but a shocking down here when it hit the stomach. And he said to me, you must prophesy again to many peoples and nations, he said, and, uh, tongue and kings. All right. So what do we have here? The study of Daniel 8.14, the book of Daniel, but especially this prophecy, it would be a sweet, bitter experience. At first, studying the book would be sweet, but it would turn bitter. That's what Daniel is, John is predicting here when the book is eaten or when people take its message. It would first be sweet, then turn bitter. And after the experience, after that sweet, bitter experience, he was to, said, told to be proclaim this message globally. Prophesy again. You started it, a sweet, bitter experience, but then after that, prophesy again. We just read that together. Now I want to come with you back in history for a moment now. That's the prophecy. Daniel, shut up your book. John sees this book is going to be opened in the end of time. Daniel said it would be closed till the time of the end, and we see the book is now open. Come with me to the French Revolution. I don't know if you've ever studied a little bit about the French Revolution, but the French Revolution is regarded by historians as one of the most pivotal events in what we call modern history. In fact, historians tell us it was the seedbeds of atheistic communism as well. Now, the French Revolution, three things stood out in the minds of people. Number one, it was a very violent period of time, as you recall. Right here in the Place de la Concorde in Paris, the guillotine ran red. Many heads rolled in the streets of Paris. The first head to roll was King Louis the 16th. And they kept rolling and blood flowed in the streets of Paris during this time. A very violent age at this time. The second thing about the French Revolution, it was grossly immoral. For example, we know that the symbols of the French Revolution were the prostitutes. Now, would you believe it? This is the age, the dawning of human reason, and the symbol of this great new revolution were prostitutes. They were paraded through the streets of Paris, in fact, right up into the Notre Dame Cathedral itself. The third thing about the French Revolution was this. It was a time of atheism. The French, you see, had seen what had been taking place for centuries in France, where the, the church leaders lived in luxury and the kings lived in luxury. And they looked after themselves, really, the, 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 the rulers of the church and the rulers of the people the nobles and so on, and the kings. And after a while, the people in France said, we've had it up to here. I mean, Mary Antoinette is eating cake. You've ever been to the Versailles Palace in Paris? You can see why the people got upset. They were poor and the, 
the, the kings and the, and the religious leaders were living in luxury and they were in bed together, those two groups, really. And they said, we've had enough. And though they threw out everything, they threw out the baby with the bathwater, as we say. They didn't want any more religion, so to speak. They killed priests. They burnt Bibles. They got rid of the seven-day week and replaced it with a 10-day week at one stage during the French Revolution. They said, we've had enough. And so it became a sort of an atheistic revolution as well at this time. Now, you can imagine when students of the Bible saw what was happening because this was something radical that was taking place in the old world or Europe. When students of the Bible saw these things taking place, you can understand what they thought. They thought this reminds us of some words of Jesus. And by the way, just to show you the atheism, the prostitutes were taken right here into the Notre Dame Cathedral and set up on the high altar of the church there, the cathedral there, those prostitutes. That's how much they did not want to do with the things of God at this time. Now, when students of the Bible saw these things happening, you can understand they thought Matthew 24, our second program, the signs of the coming of Jesus, violence, immorality, and so on that we saw. That's exactly what they thought. Now, at this very time, this is the late 1700s, the 1790s. That's when the French Revolution took place in the 1790s in in France. When they saw this, students of Bible prophecy began to study a prophecy in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation dealing with the 1260 days. The 1260 day prophecy that Daniel mentions, that John mentions in those two books. They started to look at these. What did they mean? How can we understand them? And then it happened. They knew, of course, that in the year 538 AD, the Bishop of Rome had been given political clout by the Emperor Justinian. They knew that. And then when in 1798, Napoleon's General Berthier marched into the Vatican and took the Pope prisoner, as we saw last week. And the next Bishop of Rome said, this is the wound that John mentions. You remember that from last week. That the end of the two thousand, the twelve sixty days had come. They realised we've now come to the end because five thirty eight plus twelve hundred and sixty is seventeen ninety eight. Now what happened next? Many different denominations now began to study the Bible's greatest time prophecy, Daniel eight fourteen. They were Roman Catholics like Manuel de la Conza, a Jesuit priest. And there was Baptists, there were Methodists, there were Anglicans, there were Episcopalians, there was Congregationalists, you name it, whatever religion it was, Christian religion was, they were all studying the same prophecy at the same time at the end of 17, at 1798. People began to dig in. It's fascinating to read some of history books on this. A whole doctoral dissertation was done on the, the history of prophetic interpretation. And this period has an enormous quantity of Bible students from different religions studying this prime time prophecy. All coming to the same conclusion that something's going to happen around 1843, 1844. That's what they came to. We're not sure what it is, most of them said, but something's going to happen at the end of this 2,300 days. There it is there. 2,300 days, evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Do you see what's happening, my friend? As we come to the time of the end, exactly what Daniel predicted, that book would be shut up until that time. John says, the book is now open. And that's what's happening here, right on time. I tell you what, this book is incredible. You can understand why as a young man looking at archaeology and seeing that, yes, the Bible is actually true when you look at what it says and the historical evidence for it 
has been discovered from archaeology and so on, and then you see its prophecies of ancient civilizations, and then you see more modern prophecies, you can see why this young heart would beat. Because this book is true. Its prophecies are dependable. We're seeing one here tonight. Now, there was one... um, one of these people, he was a Baptist actually, William Miller, and he had a following of about 500,000 people. William Miller in North America, he believed that Jesus would come. In fact, he pointed right to the very day, he said, October 22, 1844. That's what Miller did. But many others of different denominations joined him. Methodists, Episcopalians, and so on. You could read about it. It's incredible. 500,000 people from different denominations were saying the same thing at this time in North America. And then there were others saying something's going to happen, but we don't know what's going to happen at this time, 1843, 1844. Well, of course, Jesus didn't come because you're here tonight. And of course, these people were bitterly disappointed. They were shattered to say the least. Now, I find some people, you know, they think they're glad Jesus isn't coming yet. And there's only one reason we're not glad Jesus is yet not yet here, and that's because we don't love Jesus. Let me tell you, When you go to this book, let me tell you that every writer of this book wants Jesus Christ to come. In fact, this book ends with a cry. John, in the last page of the Bible, says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Paul longed for the coming of Jesus. He wanted Jesus to come. Why? Because this Jesus who's about to come, as we're seeing in this series, this Jesus died for us. That's why they wanted this Jesus to come, because he was their friend. He changed their life. He turned their life right side up. And he can do the same for us here this evening. So these people were shattered. They wanted him to come, but he never came. A great disappointment, as you can appreciate. And that's, in fact, what historians call it at this time. Now, some of these people from different denominations, we're talking about different people from different areas, they came together and said, what went wrong? How come Jesus never came? We thought the prophecy was right. So these people from different denominations, they studied together, they talked together, and they looked at this. 2,300 days or years, they looked at that prophecy. Was the time period wrong? Well, they knew that the Daniel 9 was cut off from the larger period. We saw that earlier when we looked at this whole prophecy. They saw the 70 weeks, Daniel said it's cut off from the 2,300-day prophecy. So they knew that. They also realized, of course, or knew when the prophecy started, the 70 weeks part, the 490 years. They knew it started in the year 457 because that's when the command was given to restore and build Jerusalem. You will recall that prophecy. We went right through it. So they knew 457, that's the starting date. It was easy just to add 2,300 and you've got to come to 1844 because that's what happens when you just add it on to it. Remember, there's no zero year. That's why it's 1844 and not 1843. We've been through that before. So they could see that. And they knew this. They knew that the first part was a proven fit. And we saw that. Why is that precise? Because it predicted, Daniel predicted in his ninth chapter, that Jesus would be baptized in 27 AD, and he was, and Luke records it. The Bible records that in 31 AD, Jesus would be crucified and he was crucified at this time. So they knew this was correct. If this is not correct, then Jesus didn't come on time, but he did. Luke records it. So they knew this was correct. So therefore, if the first part is correct, then the other part, the end part has to be correct. You can't, you can't have one without the other. 
The first part's right. The last part has to be right because the first part was just cut off from it. So they knew the time was right. This was an exact fulfillment. So what did they do when they thought about that? So they asked this question. Then what about the end point then? If the time period is right, and it's quite right, the cross of Calvary, the, the, the ministry of Jesus nails it. If that's right, then, okay, what's, what happened then? Certainly Jesus didn't come. So they began to look at the statement again. The phrase was, unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. So they started to look at this idea of the sanctuary now. What does that mean? What's that mean, the cleansing of the sanctuary? Now, William Miller, the one who had led this group, shared these messages, and as I said, many thousands of people from different denominations had come on board. William Miller had taught that the sanctuary is the earth. That's what Miller said. The sanctuary is the earth. And so the idea was, well, if the sanctuary is the earth and the sanctuary is going to be cleansed, then the sanctuary is going to be cleansed with fire at the return of Jesus, they just logically concluded. So the cleansing of the sanctuary, they said the cleansing of the earth with fire, that's at the time of Jesus coming. That's what, that's why they came to the return of Jesus. But these people now studied to look at the sanctuary a bit more carefully now. They discovered from the Bible, and we've seen it already, that there's a temple in heaven. John says so in the book of Revelation. John says, and we, we, we notice this, the temple of God was opened in heaven. Heaven is not the temple. Make that clear. The temple of God was opened in heaven, John says. So they noted that there is a temple, a heavenly temple. And if you've ever studied the book of Hebrews, where Paul writes to the Hebrew Christians, he makes it very plain that Jesus has gone to a more perfect sanctuary, he says, a heavenly temple. All right, let's notice else what else they noted. As they studied the book of Hebrews, they noticed that the temple in heaven needed cleansing. The book says that. Notice what the Bible says, and we've seen this before, but just to review. Therefore, it was necessary, says Paul, that the copies of the things in the heaven, in other words, the earthly temples, which are copies of the greater temple, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heaven should be purified with these, meaning animals, sacrifices. But the heavenly things, he says, themselves with better sacrifices than these, namely the death of Jesus and his sacrifice. That's what Paul's talking about. So yes, the earthly needed cleansing. There's a heavenly temple and there's a heavenly cleansing of its te- the, te- the cleansing of the heavenly temple. So they noticed that. So now they had a look more clearly at what took place in the temple now. They realized the earth is not the temple. There's a temple in heaven. So as they looked at what took place in the temple, they noticed what took place on a daily basis. And we talked about that. Morning and evening sacrifices for the whole nation and so on. We talked about that. But they noticed that these things pointed forward to Christ's ministry as our great high priest since he's gone back to heaven. He's what the Bible calls our advocate. That's how you and I, with our things that we've done wrong, can come to God and say, God, forgive me. How come? We can do that because Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. He's like a go-between, so to speak. He's like a lawyer, if we could put it in that language. He's our advocate. He's been doing that for 2,000 years, and he's doing it today for you and I. 
Jesus is not some some heavenly holiday for the last 2,000 years. He's been working for his children. Christ's ministry since Calvary, they realize that's pointing to that. Now, you will recall that the blood, people would lay their hand on the animal. They would kill the animal because it's their, their sin that's caused this animal to die. In other words, they killed the animal. The priest caught the blood and he took it into the temple and sprinkled some of it before the curtain. The sins are going from the individual now onto the animal via the blood into the temple. In other words, the thing, as we saw, is becoming contaminated and it needed a cleansing. And so the Jewish Temples had a day of cleansing, we saw, known as Yom Kippur, remember? The Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, the Day of Cleansing, when the blood of a goat was taken into the second room on only one day of the year, and we talked about that, and the whole temple was cleansed. This was known to the Jewish people as a day of judgment annually. Notice the language of the Bible I think we mentioned this, but it's worth noticing again. Let's notice what the Bible says on this one. This day of judgment, any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day, the day of atonement, will be cut off from his people. In other words, the Jewish people had to take this day seriously. And if they did not, they would be cut off. Very solemn day when the temple would be cleansed. But notice the people were declared on that day to be justified, to be clean before God. It was a day of joy in actual fact when the priest took out of the temple the sins of the people. Thank God for that. So it was a day when everything was righted and justified and they were clean, so to speak, in the eyes of God. Now, That's exactly what we have in these two books, Daniel and Revelation. We have that sort of idea of a judgment, but a day of justice, a day of deliverance for God's people. Notice in Daniel 7, we've seen it before. These four beasts come up out of the briny ocean. And you will remember that there's this little horn, the Antichrist we noticed. This little horn does terrible things we saw. He trounces God's people. He changes God's commandments. We saw all that. And what is the solution to what this power does? Notice what it is. The solution is this. The judgment was set and the books, the records were opened. In other words, it's the judgment that brings deliverance for God's people. That's the good news about the judgment. Not good news for the Antichrist and those who are part of it, but mighty good news for God's children. That's Daniel 7. Little horn, terrible things, judgment is the solution. Now watch what happens in Daniel 8 now. Daniel 8, we notice the war between the ram and the goat. He sees the little horn as well. And this little horn, you will notice, does terrible things we saw. Shocking things. We just read about it. He stands against Christ. He does pushes down the sanctuary and does all these sorts of things. Same things as the little horn in Daniel 7. But notice the solution. For how long was the question and what is the answer? For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that the day of cleansing, the judgment time, coincides with the cleansing of the sanctuary. Those two things are the same event. 
Both are the answer to the little horn who's trouncing and doing terrible things. The judgment is the same as the cleansing of the sanctuary because that's what it was in the temple services. So we could read Daniel 8, 14 like this, and this is how these people now realize. As they're studying the sanctuary, they now realize what happened at the end of the 2,300 days. He said to me, for 2,300 days, evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be cleansed, which means the judgment will begin. Justice will be done for God's people. This is deliverance because the book of Daniel means God is my deliverer. My judge. That's the meaning of that book. Judgment began, you see, in 1844. And these people realized that from the books of Daniel, Revelation. In other words, they saw that Christ is now also judging. He's not only our advocate, he's also our judge. And isn't it great that the judge is our lawyer, as we said. And that's what it is in the Bible. You don't have someone's your lawyer and someone's your judge. Not in the Bible. The two are on the one person. And that's mighty good news. Our judge is also our lawyer. Good news for those who are the followers of Jesus. Mighty good news. Because Daniel tells us what the judgment does. He says, the judgment was in favor of the saints or the people of the Most High. It was in their favor. We think too negatively of judgment in our modern setting, but it's not negative in the Bible for the people of God. It is mighty good news in favor of his people. You see, God's temple and his people are cleansed or justified on that day. They're justified now, but they're declared to be totally innocent as they in fact already are in the sight of God when they have Jesus Christ. What a great thing. So these people realize what took place, but they also realize while it's mighty good news for God's friends, it's a warning for a world who is clinging to sin. It's a warning for a world who is holding on to that which is wrong because judgment day has arrived. We're in that time period. This is not playtime. This is not just ordinary time. While we're sitting here tonight, there's a judgment going on in God's courts. Whether you believe it or not, whether the world knows it or not, that's the facts of life. It's as real as the air we breathe. That's what Daniel is telling us. And that's why the angel in Revelation said something else needed to happen. Let's go back. So they could see the sealed visions now of Daniel were now open. They were understood. They thought, many of them, that Jesus would come at the end of that time period, 1844. But he did not come. What a bitter experience. That's exactly what it was. It was sweet to them like them in the mouth. Jesus was coming, but it turned bitter in their belly. In other words, when they started to, when nothing happened. Notice what? They even saw, these people from different denominations, even saw the predicted prediction of their experience right there in John's revelation. And I thank God that God predicted this 2,000 years ago so when these people got to this experience, they could look back and say, God is with us. Now, my friend, this evening, prophecy is not given to us so we can be clever. Prophecy is given so that when it takes place, God's people believe. That's the way Jesus put it. So these people, they saw this in the book of Revelation. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. They saw that's what it was to us when we thought Jesus was coming at the end of this prophecy. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. They could see very clearly 
God had indicated this would actually happen. But they also saw their mission. They saw what their purpose was in life. Because as they saw Revelation 10, they noticed the last thing. He said to me, you must prophesy again. You got it wrong the first time. Now you preach this thing again. You thought the 2,300 days, 1844, Jesus would come. You must preach it again. This prophecy is not finished. You must say it again, but you must preach what it really means. You must prophesy again to many peoples, nations, tongues and kings. What would they prophesy again, my friend? As they saw Revelation 10, they flicked over to Revelation 14 and there it was. Look at it. Revelation 14. God's final message to a planet in rebellion. Here it is, especially for those who are clinging and holding on to sin and will not let it go, whatever that sin is. Here is the message. They saw it right there. The first angel says the judgment has begun. Not will come, has begun. Notice what they saw. Here it is. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Wasn't that what they told to do? You go and tell this to the world, they were told in Revelation 10. Now in Revelation 14, this angel is flying to every person on planet Earth. And what's he saying? He's saying with a loud voice, the hour of his judgment has come. In the Greek, it means when the angel announces it, it's already started. That's the force of the Greek language. They saw that. Wow, John, Daniel are predicting that the judgment has begun. What an amazing thing. The world clinging to sin must be warned. It's okay for you if you're in Christ Jesus. No problem for you. But what about Tom, Dick and Harry who don't know Jesus? What about those who are going in life as if they have an eternity? When right now there's a judgment going, the world needs to know that. Listen, my friend, it would be, it would be, we would call it murder if somebody knew that something serious was about to take place and we said nothing. What would we think of Noah if God told him, Noah, warn the world, the world is about to be destroyed by a flood and he sat on his bottom and said nothing. We would call him a, a murderer, right? Now, God has a message for the world that says there the judgment has begun. And when that finishes, Jesus will come. We don't know when that's going to be, but it would be delinquent for anybody who knows this to say nothing. Like Jonah, the runaway prophet who said nothing when Nineveh was about to be to be destroyed. The judgment. Yes. OK, for God's people. Good news. But a warning must be given to the world who is holding on to no one's sin. So these people, they began to preach the gospel in the context of those three angels' messages. My friend, just the fact that the judgment is on now, knowing that won't help anybody. It might scare them to death, but it won't save them. That's why the angel has the gospel. It's the gospel that changes lives. And so these people began to preach the good news, the gospel in the context of those three angels' messages. That's what they began to tell the world. Now, remember, this is an interdenominational group. 
These are people from different denominations who've come together around the Bible prophecies and they begin to see what they must do, these people. John saw them in the Revelation. He saw these people. Notice what he said. And this was after the 1260-day prophecy. After the period of persecution, after those 1260 years, John in chapter 12 sees them. Notice what happens. And this means after 1798, because as we've seen, that's when the 1260 days ends. What does John see? He says this, after that period of time, in Revelation 12, he says, the woman might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times and half a time, 1260 days, that's it, the 1260 years. And then what does he see next? He sees the dragon now. He's furious. He couldn't get the woman for the 1260 years. Yes, she was she was killed, but the truth was kept alive, in other words. God's people were, his truth was preserved. His church kept going, even though it was greatly persecuted. So the dragon now, it says the dragon was wroth or angry with the woman. And he went to make war with what? With the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony, he says, of Jesus Christ. These are God-fearing people, people who love God because they've accepted Jesus, and so they follow Jesus. A remnant, he says. In other words, what we're seeing here tonight is this. There is a prophetic end-time movement of God. Right on time after 1798, that 1260 years, God is raising up people from different denominations, different walks of life. He's raising up a people, what he calls the remnant, who the dragon hates. He hates those people. It's a prophetic end time movement. This is not man's idea. This is the prophetic clock of God has struck the hour. What an amazing thing for us to see this tonight. And why? Why is God doing this? Why is God raising up a movement globally among all people? Why? Why does he want this to happen? For one great reason, my friend. And here it is. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and every person. Why? Because for God so loved the world. Saying with a loud voice, notice, fear God, give glory to him, for because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, he says, the sea and the springs of waters. What's happening here? This is what's happening. God is raising up these people around the world to prepare the world to stand before their judge. They are secure in Christ, but there's a world not yet ready and God wants them to be able to stand before Christ with joy as well. So that's their task. Prepare the world to stand before their judge. And that's why they have the everlasting gospel, because that judge is the creator of the world. And that creator, that one from eternity, who Paul says made all things, that God, that almighty God from eternity, he was condemned for his children. 
That's what the Bible teaches us so plainly. John writes these words. Jesus is saying them and Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, he says, will draw all people to myself. My friend, what these people proclaim in Revelation or what the angel has said, he takes to everybody the good news that this God, this creator died for a planet in rebellion. You think of that now this evening. No wonder the angel said, therefore, fear God. What does fear God mean? It doesn't mean to bite your fingernails and tremble in the corner. No, it means to love God and respect God. Who would not love God? Who would not respect God? Who would not obey God when God died for them? For you, for me this evening. That's why, that's the, that's the result of this tremendous news. Not only that, the angel says, glorify God, which means live for God. Who would not live for a God who does that for his children is condemned, takes their place. And finally, he says, worship God as Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath. He's quoting from that fourth commandment we saw in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. Worship the God as God as Lord, Jehovah there of the Sabbath. You see, It's a remnant of grace because God was condemned for these people. That's why the angel can say, therefore, live for God, worship God, follow God, love him and respect him. Therefore, there's those things. Therefore, follow me, Jesus is saying, live for me. And finally, be loyal to me. Worship me no matter what anyone else does. Worship me by keeping my Sabbath. Show your loyalty in that way because of the grace of God. You see, this message that we've seen this evening from Daniel and the Revelation, God is raising up a people which came into being right on time, according to the prophecies of Daniel, around the great prophecy of Daniel's prophecy, especially 8.14. A prophecy which is predicted here by Daniel and John says that's what's going to happen in the end of time and nails every point of it. In other words, God is raising up people to prepare people to come and join Jesus. He's saying, prepare my children. Son, bring my children home. That's what he's doing. That's what this is all about tonight. You may not have understood everything, but I hope you knew this evening. This book is amazing. This is true because Daniel predicted it. John showed it to be true. And we can see very clearly tonight that's what's happening. And that's all about bringing God's children home. You know, there's a great home that God is preparing for you and I tonight. It's out of this world, (laughs) literally, (laughs) for a while we saw You would not want to miss on what God has prepared for you and I who put our life in the hand of Jesus. No one would want to miss that. Let's just bow together in a word of prayer, shall we, before we close this evening. Loving Father, we thank you for an amazing prophecy that helps us realize that we have not been following cunningly devised fables, as Paul said. The word of God is true. We can see how it was predicted in the book of Daniel that God would raise up people to share earth's last message with a world that he loves so desperately. We thank you so much that John 
came with the same prophecy himself and showed us what would happen when people read that message in the time of the end and how they would then take it to a world globally. Thank you, O God and Father, that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will come. Tonight our heads are bowed and our eyes have closed. And if you'd like to say to God tonight, God, I want to be in that land where we, there is no more night, a land where there's no more tears, no more pain, a land where forever we will enjoy eternity. No more of the things that we experience on this earth in terms of the harshness and the, the unkindness and the cruelty and the violence and so on. But thank you in that land we will live forever in tremendous peace and security. You'd like to say to God tonight, I want to accept that creator God who died and took my place and was condemned for me so that I can go on for eternity. Just raise your hand tonight to just say, God, I want that same Christ. I want him as my savior and my friend. I want him to lead my life so that you can use me to help other people to be ready for that day which is soon to come. Just raise your hand tonight. God would be so happy if you would say yes to him because for years he's been watching over your life. The Bible says God watches his children and he knows that you have a heart for him and he wants you to place your hand in his tonight. Just raise your hand tonight if that's what you want to do. Father, you see our hands. You know our lives and we thank you tonight for many who have said, God, I want to put my life in the hand of this Christ. Bless us as we go to our homes in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.